So Bart says he wants to begin again at the beginning with God's self-revelation, not in the scriptures, but only in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that begs the question to say, well, how can you even begin to begin at the beginning of Jesus as the Word of God if God has not given you His words with which to define Jesus? I mean, just check the evangelical blog posts out there today. No one is asking that question. I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Karl Barth was a Swiss Reformed theologian who loomed large in the first half of the 20th century, leaving an incredible impact on post-war politics and the neo-evangelical church of our modern world. Many people have said that Karl Barth was a complex and contradicting man, conservative in some regards, but liberal in other ways. On today's show, we are going to consider Karl Barth and ask, why is he so highly respected among evangelical believers, and why should we be very leery about his teachings? And for this conversation, just like all the hard conversations that we have, I've invited my dear friend, Dr. Alan Shelby, Dean of the Living Faith Bible Institute. Alan, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be with you. You know, let me maybe paint the bigger picture because 140 years ago, so 1881, um, America at that time, I will say, was a good 50 years behind Europe, particularly continental Europe. Maybe 30 years behind. Culturally, philosophically. Morals, everything Mm -hmm. that goes with that. You remember uh, Francis Schaeffer? Yeah. And Francis Schaeffer uh, wrote a number of books, and uh, one was How Should We Then Live? And Francis Schaeffer um, took, you know, his, his thesis was that you could take philosophy and see philosophy then extend its network through the arts and music and other things on down into theology, and eventually it affects theology and daily life and everything else. right. Well, here is where Francis Schaeffer missed it. Francis Schaeffer didn't take it back one step further to the fact that if you change your Bible— and there is no certain word, and there's no absolute truth, and there is no biblical authority, then you open the door to that philosophy, which then has the effect all the way down the line. Right. So it works in the reverse as yes. well. Yes. So yeah. similarly, once the ideas about the Bible had changed, and they were going to view it only skeptically and only through a lens of human reason, simply as a human book, as any other human book or any other sacred writing of any other religion, well, then what you got from that is that England here corrupts God's words, 1881. Germany, the rest of the continent, had left God's word a long time before Mm -hmm. that. Okay, Mm -hmm. So they were well ahead of that. The consequence was the acceptance of Nietzsche Mm -hmm. and Hitler, but also Hegel. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so key, you have to keep in mind that George Wilhelm, you know, 
Friedrich Hegel um, becomes the problem behind the problem with Karl Barth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, what is the problem with Hegel, I wonder? Well, Hegel's highest good was the unity of life. How do you define that highest good, the unity of life? You define it as self, others, and nature. Mm. So check this, because you know that I am also a board president for a uh, charter school. Yeah. So I'm a school board president. Mm-hmm. So DESE, the Missouri yeah. Department of Elementary Secondary Education, just approved adding SEL to the core curriculum, mm-hmm. meaning K through 12 core curriculum, SEL. SEL is social emotional learning. Social emotional learning is based off of me, we, others. Hmm. Now, they think that's going to solve all the problems in our schools. So Hegel said, me, we, nature. So this Hmm. is just another version of Hegel. Interesting. Uh, Another version of Hegel's philosophy, which is done why? Well, because they cannot teach character anymore. They can't teach values because that implies morals. And there are no morals. So I searched through all 821 pages of the unit on SEL education, K-12 lesson plans, 821 mm-hmm. pages. They talk about responsibility a lot. There's, there's nothing on values and what we would call character qualities mm. because it took a long time, but we are exactly right there mm. with the Germany of old yeah. and, uh, and, and, and with Hegel. Uh, so the problem is that even an overeducated egghead like Hegel, Hegel recognizes that that goal – Unity of life through those three things is really unattainable. And so so what do scholars do when they run up against waking reality like that? Well, we know what we see what they do. They change their definitions. They redefine their yeah, terms. Right. It's done with gender. Mm-hmm. Okay, so waking reality says one thing. No, we don't like that. It does not accord with our immorals. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just we're just going to redefine it. We're yeah. just going to change our terms. Uh, so that is true with counseling philosophy as well. That's true with doctrinal heresy, mm-hmm. as we talked about N.T. Wright on a on a previous sure. podcast. Um, and Karl Barth, as I will show, he redefines uh, in his own fashion, redefines terms in order to get the theology that he wants. Mm-hmm. Now Hegel did this. Because since a unity of life is impossible due to our fallen condition and our need for redemption, then what he ended up advocating is a unity in difference. Not a unity in life, but a Mm. unity in difference, which he grounds that on what he calls universal reason. And so what he comes up with is exactly the ruse— 
that Karl Barth applies to Scripture in order to seduce modern American evangelical preachers today, mm. which is a particular problem with Karl Barth. They're all following him, mm-hmm. whether they even know his name or not. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're following him. So Hegel comes up with a system that synthesizes what in philosophy they call the subject-object dualism or what is sometimes described as you've got thesis, antithesis. Mm -hmm. What do you do with those? The truth is in synthesis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a dualism. So this is Star Wars theology, Baby Yoda. (laughs) So Star Wars theology says there's a dark side and a light side, but it's all just one force, Baby Yoda. So truth is... Not in choosing right or wrong, black or white. Truth, since it's a dualism, truth is in the synthesis. Right. So we will we will synthesize that. Truth is not God's word. Truth is not Jesus. Truth is the synthesis of the two sides. So mm-hmm. to apply Hegel's dialectic, yeah, which means Hegel's solution to contradictory positions. Uh, where the thesis and the antithesis are resolved by that synthesis, to apply that to persons, then you've got to realize that your identity is shaped by the views of others. Mm. Me, we. Mm -hmm. And such twisting of reality, apart from God's honest truth, and taking reality and ripping it out of what is God's honest truth about what's going on in life, uh, even even Hegel describes that dialectic path as a path of despair. Mm-hmm. Now, I will describe Karl Barth's doctrine as a doctrine of despair. Um, that is the problem with Karl Barth. So Hegel teaches that, you know, searching for an external, objective, authoritative, absolute truth uh, is a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. Well, it is if you destroy your Bible. Yeah. I guess it is. Yeah. Karl Barth agrees because his source of truth is not the Bible. The Bible is insufficient according to him. Right, right. It is not sufficient. Right. He is famous for responding to what we refer to as liberal theology. Okay, so his his claim to fame is that he kicked against or, or bucked against the, the liberal theology of his day, what he was trained in, which was a byproduct of German skepticism making its way into seminaries. Um, can you tell us what liberal theology is? And then can you explain to us what it means, what Bart means when he is uh, opposing liberal theology? What does that define the, the battleground itself? Okay. So we start with this, the German theologians and others, and they're detethering from uh, God's honest truth about things and then accepting the destructive critics and, and others and their own corruption of the scriptures of truth. So then out of that emerges what can be called liberal theology, 
liberal theology was Christian modernism. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the word liberal is can be used in a lot of different senses and different politically versus theologically, similar to the word fundamentalist, which can be used in a certain way regarding um, Islam versus right. Christianity. Yeah. So, okay, it, it was simply Christian modernism, which is, the uh, as, as usual with most things that deal with doctrines of devils, is the opposite of what it states. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is, it is, Christian modernism was the view that we are now so modern, uh, we can deconstruct the scriptures themselves in order for us to use our reason to right. try and find what is reasonable truth to us. So Christian modernism, and so that means, you know, I think ultimately, uh, I mean, and uh, uh, they absorbed a lot of different genres, uh, archaeology <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and whatever was there, modern science, textual criticism, higher criticism. and But at, I, probably at the central core, the idea of the evolution of humanity, mm-hmm. that we are as good as we are because we have evolved and we can keep going in that direction. Yeah. Right. And so it put reason and experience above biblical authority. And the gospel became a social gospel for modern man. Mm -hmm. So totally a social construct, not a theological one. We're Mm -hmm. going to better the condition of mankind, and that's what Christianity to do. And that that dominated uh, mainline Protestant churches. So how did did Karl Barth become a problem for the liberals, a Mm -hmm. problem for liberal theology? Well... Um, Bart said that theology has, actually has to hear and speak the Word of God on the basis of biblical testimony. So he rejects the thesis of Bultmann and his school, who said that the task of theology was uh, to take the message of the Bible and translate it into the language of modern man. Mm-hmm. Given what we know now, let's retranslate it. Yeah. Because we right. know better now than, right. than they did back then. Right. Uh, so he said, uh, you know, if you accept that idea, then that assumes that the message of the Bible is relatively easy to grasp. Bart said that. Mm. And so Bart says, no, he, he, he takes liberal nonsense and raises it to a higher level. Because he contends that that's not the case at all. The Bible's not at all easy to, to grasp. Uh, the Word of God is not obvious in the Bible, but it ha- always has to be taught. You can only learn it from the Bible, but the Bible itself is not God's words. So in his seeking, he rejects the biblical term church. He prefers the term community, mm-hmm. and that's where we get that from. Mm. Uh, we're a community, not a church, and so you must use the Bible to seek the primary element and the tradition of the community. Mm-hmm. So the Bible's one thing, but the community, you have to see its tradition, and then it has to redefine given what we know now versus what we so knew the, back so then. So the Bible bends to the will of the community versus the other way around. Well, uh, really, I will say what happens is that you do like an uh, Indian uh, on Diwali or a whirling dervish. Mm-hmm. Um, you get dizzy in, in engaging in what he calls the exe- exegetical circle, 
that is inevitable in order to, that you have to do this exegetical circle in order to understand the text. And that means you circle from God's active revelation to its apostolic and prophetic uh, attestation to its preaching in the church and then back. Mm-hmm. That's the circle, and we are in it. And so for Bart, church dogmatics means tracing the path that God's Word, capital W, capital W, tracing the path that capital W God's Word takes. Now, that's ma- that makes me nervous, but let me, let, let's give the devil his due. <laughs> okay. Um, I think, as we mentioned, N.T. Wright deserves kudos for engaging the 50 critical scholars in the uh, Jesus Seminar mm-hmm. and defending the historicity of Jesus and of the resurrection. Likewise, Bart was the primary author of the Barman Declaration in uh, 1934 to oppose Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Nazi Germany. Yeah. He even mailed a copy of that to Adolf Hitler. Oh. Uh, you know, he and Dietrich Bonhoeffer began refusing to begin their lectures with the Hitler oath, which was more yeah. or less required. And this is in, in light of the fact that his previous teachers, his influencers— who called themselves Christian, also allied themselves to the destruction of the Jews and to the Nazi state, right? Yes. So, so he is he is revolutionary. He's he's countercultural in the decision um, to to sign such a uh, a declaration. Yes, and I I think we have to acknowledge the uh, presence or absence of anti-Semitism as a key barometer of really where someone's at theologically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Luther, for whatever good he had in the Reformation and you know, trying to get the Catholic Church, the church Catholic as it was at that time, back mm-hmm. to uh, justification by faith, was nevertheless anti-Semitic, yeah. as were basically all of the Reformers anti-Semitic, as are some of the evangelicals today anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, what it, whatever happens in Israel and whatever they do to respond to what happens to them, see, see how people view that and what they say about it. Right. That tells a lot about both theologically where they're at and spiritually where they're at, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not a synthesis. You cannot synthesize um, Israel and Hamas in order to get to the truth in the duality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. I mean, it's like, good luck with that. Right. So, so Bart becomes a problem for liberals because he, he replaced their dizzying circle of historicism and rationalism and mm-hmm. moralism and romanticism and dogmatism and intellectualism with this new circle that took one step back toward orthodoxy, right? Uh, because Bart was sold out on the Trinity. Hmm. So, uh, never mind the Word of God. 
but he he was sold out on the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. So in 1921, Bart uh, is appointed professor of reform theology at uh, University of uh, Göttingen. Uh, later, he's appointed professor professional chairs at uh, Munster, uh, 1925, and Bonn, 1930. Uh, because of writing the Barman Declaration of the Confessing Church, he's forced to resign teaching there in Germany, mm-hmm. and he leaves in 1935, ends up eventually teaching in Basel, Switzerland. And at that same moment is the time when he becomes a real um, pain in the problem for liberals. Mm-hmm. Because at, at at that moment, he writes his commentary on the Book of Romans. Mm. Okay. And and so, you know, with this writing, now you, you made reference to the church dogmatics, which was a writing that he gave the rest of his life, remainder of his life to, never completed. But this earlier writing, this epistle of the Romans, it really is, for most people who are follow Bart, uh, it's like it's his magnum opus, right? It's like the... it's the end-all, be-all of his writings. Now, I haven't read it. It's it's long, but I, I did skim through th- some things, and I, I read a lot of, of, of I, you know, articles about the this epistle to the Romans commentary. And what I've come to, I think, discover about it is that it's very circular. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't land the plane on lots of very, very important subjects. It leads to ambiguity. Uh, issues on subjects such as the atonement, <laughs> N.T. Wright, um, and, and really important things such as our relationship to the Word of God. It, it is not exegetical. From what I've read, it's not exegetical in any way, shape, or form. When you and I go get a commentary on the book of Romans from you know our, our favorite dispensationalist commentator, it's an exegetical a, a, a writing. It's an exposition of the book. This is this is none of that. But yeah, yet it was but, it's detached from it. Yeah, but yet it's it's contentious in some way. Well, but that's because you know, I mean, you have to understand if you're a good dialectician, then the goal is not to land the plane. Mm-hmm. The goal is to fly it. Mm-hmm. So he's flying the plane. It was a bombshell to liberal theology because on the one hand his credentials can't be questioned. Now, he did not have a doctorate, but he was a professor. So, uh, and his, uh, you know, bona fides from, uh, in terms of his father, his training, and so forth, all of that was legit. But even even like today, so this is not what of true, is true of LFBI, but this is true of most, most Bible colleges, including uh, fundamental ones. Mm-hmm. When you go off to Bible college, you end up becoming a Calvinist. When you get out into the pastorate, you discover that doesn't work. <laughs> and you're very Arminian once you become a pastor. <laughs> right. So here's, here's Karl Barth, and, uh, you know, in his training, he's, he's a liberal, a good liberal, but he gets into the pastorate uh, there in Switzerland, Dresden, other places. Mm-hmm. He's dealing, he's preaching to people in prison. He's like, this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I, I've got to, you know, I got to, we can do better than this. And yeah, so he went to, the hearts and minds. to Hegel to get a new overlay to put on top of 
liberal theology that does take it one step back toward orthodoxy, particularly in that sense of the Trinity and refusing to point out the errors in Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, but let me let me paint the big picture here. Okay. Um, in 1905, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary grew out of B.H. Carroll's discontent with Baylor University in Waco, Texas. The problem with Baylor University is that it began teaching evolution, and that made it that much of a modernist school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carroll saw what was happening in Germany and in Europe, and so... He and J. Frank Norris founded this seminary in 1908. It moved to Fort Worth where Norris was at. Yeah. And they founded this seminary, uh, he and the Texas Tornado, Mm -hmm. uh, as a bastion of orthodoxy against modernist theology. Yeah. So now you had orthodox fundamentalist beliefs— thesis, liberal unbelief, antithesis. So you had, the at that moment, the great fundamentalist modernist controversies yeah. and the publishing of 90 essays between 1910 and 1915, which came to be called The Fundamentals, right. A Testimony to the Truth. But if you do just like Rob Bell uh, did in his NUMA videos, mm-hmm. and if you say that it doesn't really matter whether there was an original Adam or an Eve or not, it doesn't matter if there was really a tree in the garden or not, the truth is simply in the story. That is neo-orthodoxy. And that's the problem with Karl Barth. So at the same moment that these Baptist pastors are discovering that um, there was not only the KJV as a biblical authority, Mm -hmm. uh, by 1930, Karl Barth had been fed up with liberal theology and the bankruptcy of, of it, wrote his commentary on Romans, uh, tries to synthesize those dialectical, mm-hmm. dialectically synthesize those diametrically opposed poles of liberal or modernist and orthodoxy or fundamentalist and synthesize that dialectically to come up with a unity of life yeah. in yeah. a unity of the difference. And that became the new bestseller, the new fad, the new orthodoxy, neo-orthodoxy. That's so interesting. So let me see if I can't summarize this for my own purposes and maybe for our listeners. So what we have here is a man who um, bridged the gap between uh, critical rationalism, which out of which uh, comes like the swoon theory. You know, Christ didn't. Yeah. Christ really couldn't have risen yeah, from the dead. No and resurrection. So, no death and no he resurrection. Wasn't really dead. Yeah, yeah. So ways of explaining away Jonah and the whale. You know, uh, ways of explain anything s- supernatural. Jesus had really big pockets in his robe when he fed the five thousand. <laughs> like really, <laughs> is big. that one of those? I've that, never heard that's that. one of those. Okay, yes, wow. like really big pockets. Yeah, wow. Those, yeah, or really, really small fish. I'm not sure. <laughs> Sardines. Um, so it's this is what came out of 
of liberal theology is is a worldly, secular, humanistic, historical, rationalistic view of what the Bible declares as supernatural. On the other hand, you have you know what's going on in America, where you have at the time. Um, fundamentalism on the rise. You have people who are adhering to the literality of scripture. How do you hybrid the two? How do you bring the two together? And it seems as though he laid um, the, the vagary of allegory over the top of these two worlds and and said, hey, look, there are moral good things. There, there's morality that can come out of a, a, an amalgamation of the two things, a conflation of the two perspectives. And so he kind of created an in-between where you have, uh, you, if you make vague both the fundamental and make vague the, 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 the rationalistic, then in between you can have this kind of highly inspired, overly pious, extra spiritual conversation about relationship with God. Yeah, and of course, uh, Origen, the early church father, and plain heretic theologically, mm -hmm. uh, and Augustine and others were famous for the idea of analogy. Yes. Or, or allegory, and allegory became the way of not, then with Bart becomes the way of not have to ad, having to admit the historicity. Yes, you don't have to land the, the plane. The importance is in the story. What does not? What do the words say? What does the story mean? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what I think the story yes. means. Yeah, uh, and then don't go tripping on what the words actually say. Right, right, and right, right. Therefore, Karl Barth's magnum opus was not his commentary on Romans. That mm. was just a bombshell that opened the door, got things going. His okay. magnum opus is twelve vo volumes and part volumes called Church dogmatics, mm. which, like with Origen, who is very verbose, is six million words of blather, <laughs> which does exactly what I've described to you. He does yeah. uh, what N.T. Wright follows and what Rob Bell and what Brian McLaren and Andy Stanley and everybody who ever said the Bible was insufficient and it does what all of the translators of all the modern versions for whom the Bible is simply story. It is not words imparted from God to us that we have to go on. So they, they all agree that personal, you know, Bart said, look, personal experience is subjective. And that is all that the modernist liberal theologians ever had was mm -hmm. a subjective personal experience type thing. Um, so the agent that Bart uses to resolve this dialectical contradiction between liberalism and fundamentalism or modernism and orthodoxy is Jesus. Yeah, right. Jesus is the word, not the Bible, are God's words, and that leads us to the main problem with Karl Barth. Yeah. Uh, would have, you know, that if he if he had understood this, this would have resolved his persistent fornicating adultery because church dogmatics, number one, part one and part two are the doctrine of the word of God. 
he goes on with two parts on the doctrine of God, four parts on the doctrine of creation, and four parts on the doctrine of reconciliation, and that's as far as he got. Mm-hmm. But he starts with parts one and two of Church Dogmatics, volume one, is the Word of God itself. And um, what I want you to help us to understand about his view of the Word of God is that is that it it is it is fairly inconsequential to the nature of his relationship with Christ itself. So what he does is he highlights the value of relationship with Christ. But then that what he means by that is not the study and understanding of the character of Christ through his word or the commands of Christ through his word. It is it is a hyper spiritualized view. It's experiential in nature. And so, you know, one of the things that I wrote down was that, is that it seems as though his view of scripture is Eucharistic in manner, meaning it becomes the word of God, right? The scriptures become the word of God only when it's received. In other words, um, when, like there's a, there is a, just the way that transubstantiation works right, to the Catholic, that when you partake, it becomes the body of Christ, right? But the word of God is only good uh, as a mechanism to inspire some form of experience that is unfounded and call it Christ. Yeah. So in other words, when it is received as opposed to when it is believed. Right, 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 right. And received meaning in the same way that you receive a sacrament. You don't have to believe anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it it becomes, it is the body and blood of Jesus and right. all of that. Okay. So similarly, in some way, so you what you're doing is pointing out the hypocrisy of Karl Barth having substituted one level of subjectivity for simply another different level of subjectivity. So mm. he criticized the liberals saying, look, when you say none of this is historical and none of this is right and all of it is you know, bad and none of it is good, when you say all of that, well, then all you're left with is a religion of subjectivity mm-hmm. you know, based on how you feel at the time. But then he replaces that with Jesus as a subjective experience, mm-hmm. not as an objectively no no you know knowable right. being through God's words yeah. uh, that he gives us. So yeah. so so yes. Yeah. So it gets all back to Bart's view of biblical authority. It said, you know, it's said that he he never denied the inerrancy of scripture. But he's not he wasn't an infallibilist by any regard. Just like with, you know, the uh, in evangelical today, it, they criticize the charismatic's subjective experience, but they don't have God's words. All they are left with is the impact subjectively of a story and the message versus the actual words. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me paint the picture. Here's, here's Karl Barth. He's born in 1886. He dies in 1968. So if you're dyslexic, you'll remember that really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, his father's conservative reformed. Uh, he studies liberal theology in university. Then he begins to pastor in Geneva. He's preaching in John Calvin's church, for heaven's sake. Mm. 
when he pastored in a small rural town in Switzerland, he had a theological crisis. So he, he and a friend start actually reading their Bibles. Uh, out of that came his commentary on Romans. So um, Martin Luther started reading the book of Romans and got yeah, saved. Right. Karl Barth and this guy, they started reading their Bible. And so he wrote this uh, commentary on Romans where he tears down liberal theology, but he doesn't replace it with fundamentalism. Right. He's, he's flying the plane. He ain't going to land at the airport. Right. So he teaches in Germany. He's forced out, goes to University of Basel, Switzerland. Uh, that's where he meets Charlotte. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who helps him with his with workload. His work <laughs> load. And 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 here's the problem. He calls his he calls his theology evangelical. Mm. Uh, but do not misunderstand that to mean that he believes or preaches being born again. Yeah, he he uh, he was a big critic of Billy Graham, in fact. Yeah, so he doesn't he doesn't go for that at all. He simply means that he thinks he is positing good news by bringing a unity of life between modernist and orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. Or um, it is good news that the only authority is God in his love and Jesus in his sacrifice, but never in the scriptures of truth themselves. So Bart says he wants to begin again at the beginning with God's self-revelation, not in the scriptures, but only in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that begs the question to say, well, how, how do we resolve that dialectical contradiction between subjective human authority with another subjective one? Um, you know, how, how, how do you do this? In other words, how can you even begin to begin at the beginning of Jesus as the Word of God if God has not given you His words right. with which to define Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, just check the evangelical blog posts out there today. No one is asking that question. Mm -hmm. They're not asking that question about Bart. It doesn't even occur to them. Instead, they will say kind of in the way you alluded it. Well, you know, he never... He never uh, right. Tore down in there. He never. He yeah. never said it was in there. It was. Uh, he never pointed out errors. He gets a pass. He gets a pass. Uh, Bart says God reveals who God is in God's acts toward us in Jesus Christ. Oh, really? Well, then that kind of varies from person to person, doesn't it? How he acts toward you mm -hmm. versus how he acts toward me. Mm -hmm. So if God's acts toward you in grace is to say that there is no law. To keep you from making your mistress part of your household, mm. we'll say la vie. Mm. Uh, don't we all hope that God <laughs> will act toward us in Jesus with just as generous an orthodoxy? <laughs> the Cambridge Companion to Karl Barth says, Barth's views on any given topic cannot be comprehended in a single statement. What he has to say cannot be neatly summarized. Well, I think that's kind of a problem with Karl Barth I myself. So. I mean, why are we even discussing him then if you can't come down to a conclusion? But that is the way that the doctrines of devils work. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that exactly if you ever engage a Jehovah's Witness on your doorstep or mm -hmm. a Mormon missionary at your door. You know 
they have demonic answers and demonic reasons ready for every verse that you are going to take them to that actually show them the truth. I mean, after all, Mormon missionaries have all had an experience with Jesus, which they call a burning in the bosom, and that is confirmed in the answers that they are given and they will pass on to you. Mm-hmm. So that's true of when I say Mormons, that includes RLDS, that includes Community Christ. It is just that demonic. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can engage Andy Stanley or anybody else on their heresy if you want to. But the nature of the doctrine of devils always involves three things, obfuscation, Mm -hmm. distraction, and deception. Mm -hmm. And they're very pugilistic. Mm -hmm. And they they are great debaters, twisting everything to argue their point with that, those three techniques. Yeah. Bart says God alone saves, and God alone reveals God's self. And what he means is not the Bible, not not the inspired words of apostles and prophets. So it is in his book, Evangelical Theology, that he says his systematic theology, that, that the phrase systematic theology is actually a contradiction in terms. Yeah, I heard that. And that is the problem with Karl Barth, and that is his obfuscation. Another quote, natural theology imagines a world where God's word is not spoken exclusively in Jesus Christ and searches for other words which speak of God outside of him. Now, do you see what he just did there? Mm -hmm. He twisted it to say, well, you know, if you go to your Bible, that's really demonic. That's really bad instead of just going to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's amazing because this is the reason why if you get, if you get online and you, you try to learn about Bart, some people are asking, well, is he a universalist? And other people are asking, well, is he a Calvinist? The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why? Because the problem with Karl Barth is that in order to synthesize one dialectical problem with a higher unifying truth— you have to insert another dialectical problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is John Scott. I go to Northside Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm an LFBI student. LFBI is spectacular. It's an institute that is taught by pastors as opposed to professors, people who are actually in the ministry with their feet on the ground in the dirt, making disciples, evangelizing, and actually loving people. And it's the best resource out there for any sort of Bible teaching. In my life, I've used many of the classes. One in particular is the evangelism class. After going through the course, I was able to transform by God's grace the whole method and the, and the whole process of the Bible study where it is more evangelistic and we're able to actually reach out to people and then actually study the Bible together. It's something so simple. But man, it's it's because of LFBI that that changed. Now now we're able to plug that into an evangelistic ministry that we have out of our church. So I couldn't recommend LFBI more. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org/support. This reminds me so much of our conversation about Andy Stanley. 
It's like it's the exact same problem, just a little more intellectual. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes him seem so smart, doesn't it? Yeah. And well, that's why Cambridge, even Cambridge says you can't understand Karl Barth. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is just so smart. And, and these are the reasons why. And because this is the thing that human reason idolizes. Mm. We idolize exactly that thing. And we've got our own false gods. And so, so, so Karl Barth says, God reveals God through God. We know God only through God and in God. God is not under our control as if God were an apple in our hand that we could examine, study, and learn. Well, that sounds spiritual, but it just ain't biblical. No. The problem with that is it's just not biblical because you can examine, study, and learn God's Word. Yeah. Yeah, He's very adamant in his adversarial stance toward the Scriptures. Theology, he says, is then bound strictly to the capital—he uses capital W, Word of God—to Jesus Christ. Okay, Mm -hmm. so he even uses the word strictly. It's, It's strictly bound. It is bound only, it is not bound in leather. It is only bound to capital W, mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is why Cambridge companion to Bart can't understand him. Mm-hmm. So his doctrine of revelation is exceedingly hard to comprehend, but it basically boils down to talking about God exclusively. In terms of Jesus Christ, talking about the Word of God exclusively in Jesus Christ, and you know, then all of the modern theologues claim him as their hero. Which, and it's it's funny. There's so many people also um, they claim that he that Bart was a modalist, so he stands for the Trinity and he he triumphs the Trinity, and yet in practice, he only wants to talk He's about Jesus. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. yeah, 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 yeah. And what I think what church, early church history shows you is how easy it is to be deceived mm-hmm. and fall into heresy if you do not have a complete Bible. And they didn't. And that is why almost all the early church fathers are off base. They're mm-hmm. all off base. Yeah. Because they didn't have what we have, right. and that points up the necessity to have what we do have mm-hmm. and to follow it in the way we do. Because if you don't have your own personal Bible with God's words in order to defend uh, biblical truth and derive biblical data from, you are adrift at sea. Mm. So almost all the church fathers are heretics. As far as orthodox faith is really concerned, most of them become ringleaders of the new uh, religious pagans who are now calling themselves Christians in the imperial church. So Bart would say, let's let's don't talk about God only according to liberals uh, as a subjective experience. Schleiermacher did that. Uh, he made the Trinity an addendum in his book on theology. Mm-hmm. Kant so, saw no practical significance to the Trinity, mm-hmm. so let's let but let's don't talk about God only on the subjective level. Liberals do. Let's mm-hmm. certainly never talk about God by what we can know of Him from the certainty of the words of truth. Let's be neo orthodox. Let's talk about God like the early church fathers did. Let's make the big deal about the Trinity. That is a problem with Karl Barth. Mm. I'm just saying. He thinks he's returned us to the theology of the early church. 
Mm-hmm. And he's making the, you know, you'll make the mis- same mistake if you don't understand church history. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, we got a couple of courses coming up, right? One of them, Baptist history, that's yeah. going to be coming up. And, uh, you know, this is good good stuff to know. Uh, he, he, he sounds spiritual without being biblical, and that is the ultimate demise of all the other denominations out there and some... The, some of those who wear the name Baptist as well. Yes, absolutely. I'm not sure exactly when this episode is going to release, but next semester we're offering Baptist history, second quarter. Um, Pastor Greg Axe, Dr. Alan Shelby are going to be talking about um, about our roots, the good, the bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly is the way we've been talking about it, the legacy of, of Baptists. We will name names. We will name names. And... and we book. might take names and kick butt. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm excited about the the required reading. I think is is going to be fantastic as well. I just finished both books um, that are required for the class. People should sign up for that class. I'm looking forward to that. You're also going to be teaching manuscript evidence, and you also have some lectures coming out in the English grammar class as well. So you've got a really busy semester. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Keep praying. Since we're going to land this plane. Yes. Even if Bart never did, Pope Pius. The 12th is often claimed to have said that Bart was the greatest theologian since Thomas Aquinas, right? You know, and so how, now, how we feel about St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Um, that's so what is was Pius the 12th more pious than Pius of the course. 11th? Yeah, it's a, one, it's a one-upmanship okay. is all that's about. Innocent the third, you know? So as we close, as we close our episode, what do we as biblicists, need to take away from the oft-revered teachings of Karl Barth. That, you know, he's put on this, but was he on Time Magazine, I think, yeah. at one point? And so, so uh, in yeah. other words, why does the Pope not have a problem right. with Karl Barth? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so I think this gets down to the problem with Karl Barth. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, because he rejects the notion of biblical inerrancy completely, although he's not going to point out errors. Mm -hmm. So that's his dialectical synthesis. That's his unifying truth. Um, He will, he will, you know, he will not assume that he has a superior platform uh, from which which he might judge things by having a a Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, So while he'll never say unequivocally that the Bible's without Error, he says it has vulnerability. He says it has the capacity for error mm-hmm. because it's, after all, it's just human words. And yet he will refuse to point out any of those errors. That is why he's not a problem for the Pope or for many Baptists mm-hmm. and evangelicals today who emulate and who parrot his theology because it fits in with their same idea. They've been deceived by, by the same devils who are saying that the that the word of God is not sufficient. Mm-hmm. So it fits in for that reason, and they follow it. They may not have a mistress in their home living with them and their wife, uh, yet they do have a mistress as far as the word of God is concerned. It's called human reason. Mm. And so, and so for them, it, it only, you know, Bart fits. They have no problem with Bart. They can turn him into a hero just like they can Dietrich Bonhoeffer Hoffer, whomever and, den- and deny and ignore all the liberal theology backgrounds or, uh, you know, the things he denies. So 
you know, here's Bart. He makes a distinction between the Word of God, capital W, and the words of the Bible. He says, Scripture does indeed bear witness to Revelation, but it is not Revelation itself. That's mm. the Gottingen Dogmatics, Volume 1, page 202. So if you give up biblical authority, if you deny the linear progression of preservation, then the words that you have are not, in fact, God's words, and he is absolutely right. Mm. All the modern translations, they are the ones that are better, and they are more right. All the skeptical textual critics, they are right. Almost any professor in any seminary today is just absolutely right. And yet, that's contrary to any number of verses. Like Psalm 119, just take Psalm 119 and start reading through it, and you find it contradicts uh, many verses just in that one chapter, because it means that only the word capital W can be inerrant, mm. and yet David right. believed he had God's words before Jesus ever came along. Right, right. Um, the angel tells Daniel that these are the scriptures of truth, Daniel 10.21, God tells Solomon he has the certainty of the words of truth, Proverbs 22, verse 20 and 21. Mm -hmm. So the problem with Karl Barth and the Pope is that they both have familiar spirits that puff out of them doctrines of devils, just like the pipe from which Karl Barth smoked. <laughs> now, I, I mean, I can give you an example. Karl Barth. The Bible is God's Word, the Word, the Bible is God's Word, capital W. The little word is refers to its being in the becoming. Church Dogmatics, Volume 1, Part 1, page 110. Hmm. Now, do you see how subtle that deception is? Mm -hmm. Do you see how seductive that is? The Bible is God's Word, but I, you know... But it depends on what the meaning of is is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Because it's not like it is God's word, but is it is the being and becoming God. It becomes God's word to you if God speaks to you in a certain way through it. Yeah. But it is. It's not that yeah. it is God's right. word in a concrete, absolute yeah, it's sense. It's just like you said. It's you got to be pretty full of beer to believe that. Like that. <laughs> well, it's, it leaves everything to subjective experience. Everything. Everything. Which is exactly what you want if you want to do what you want to do. Yes. Yeah, because that's... And if it's a good... If the experience... If you deem the experience to be good, God must be in it. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me it's wrong. Mm -hmm. God must be in it because it's a good experience. So a lot of things Bart says, you, can't, you cannot give BCV, book, chapter, verse 4. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, he is not an exegetical theologian at all, although he claims to be and uses the word. But his, uh, what he says does not derive from biblical exegesis. It derives from Hegel's dialectic mm -hmm. applied to Scripture uh, to come up with that theology, and uh, I think that's that is that is the problem with Carl Carl Bart. He says uh, we should not we should not try to master the text. 
the Bible will become more and more mysterious to real exegesis. They will see all the depths and distances. They will constantly run up against the mystery before which theology is trying to drain the ocean with a spoon. Now, you used to teach. Mm-hmm. There was a word for that. If a, if a student wrote something like that in his paper, it's called snowing. You were mm. snowing the mm-hmm. professor, mm-hmm. right? Six million words Yeah. to snow you. Yeah. Only now it's the professor doing it toward the student, not vice versa. And his, his, his snow is like brown and really stinky. <laughs> Yellow snow. And that is the problem with Karl Barth. It is brown, stinky, snowdrift theology. Mm. Yeah. Here's why he came to what he did. Now, I don't know. Maybe you don't know this about Karl Barth. Maybe with a lot of people, this would not even matter. But I think it has to be read in to his life, and I think we need to understand this. Karl Barth had a multi-decades-long adulterous affair and relationship with his personal assistant, Mm -hmm. uh, so much so that he not only admitted this affair to his wife and that she was his mistress, but he insisted that the other woman— move into the family home to help him with his work load. Now, here's the problem. Let me get down to the real—let me just peel the onion all the way to the central core. He used his own theology to justify what he was doing. Sure he did. And the rationale he uses to justify ongoing adultery is his theological dialectic. So Bart interprets his own situation as standing in tension between order, thesis, things decently and in order, and that which has come upon us unintentionally out of the mysterious, guilty depth of the human, mm-hmm. antithesis. And so their relationship— is simply the synthesis, the unity in difference, which will result in unity in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So between the holiness of the command, as he called it, thesis, and that you, Charlotte, and I don't know on which level we are together between the right and the natural event. So he says, look, our reality has no choice but just to live in the dialectic tension between obeying God's command about marital fidelity and what feels right to us. Mm-hmm. That's a problem with Karl Barth. And, you know, I think that should be an issue to, for anybody who yeah. looks at what he says theologically. And, and I think we have grown accustomed to, uh, you know, distinguishing between someone's character— and what they teach. And uh, to some degree, truth is not contingent on character itself. Truth isn't. But um, when we have someone who is um, making room in their theology for character flaws and sin, this is, this is problematic. Alan, um, thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us. Um, I want to make sure that you 
that you land the plane that you want to land. Can, can I land it this way? Yeah, please. please. In his very final lecture, mm-hmm. Bart admits that everything he has said to that moment lacks the support of what is considered sound evidence. In other words, had no firm foundation and therefore appeared to be hovering in midair. So all six million words, all 12 volumes, plus everything else he wrote, commentary on Romans, everything else. So he admits everything he says does not come from Bible exegesis. But wait, he considers that a good thing. Because, okay, so he considers it a good thing that he writes his commentary in Romans exactly the way you describe it. He never lands that plane. Now, I'm going to say he considers that a good thing because that was the last thing Buddha did before he died. He levitated. Mm. And that is all that you are left with. You are left with a theology which has no presuppositions other than its own object, no object being a presuppositional truth, so that that theology can lay a secure foundation for its statements. No, the power in which theology does it work, its work, Bart would say, is not a power which it has at its own disposal and control. Now, that ought to scare you, because in that breath, though he doesn't know what he's admitting, he's, he's admitting his doctrines of devils, mm-hmm. his familiar spirit, mm-hmm. not only... You know, so he will say it is the power of the Spirit of God. In actuality, it is his own familiar spirit and the unclean spirit he slept with for decades. Hello, somebody. Mm. And yet they are the spirit who is the flowing air in which alone theology can breathe freely. Now, I think that's a shame. And it's a shame that so many people today, evangelical and Baptist both, uh, buy into those same ideas. But again, I'm, I am, I'm taking Francis Schaeffer one step back further. Mm-hmm. It is the natural result of you not having biblical authority, not having God's words in English for you. The natural result is that, yes, obviously it's not going to be sufficient. Mm-hmm. You've got to add human reason to it. Mm. Yeah, no. Um, we. This is a warning that our students in LFBI need. This is a warning that any listener that, um, you know, has a multiplicity of evangelical voices in their life need to hear. It, it's easy to be enamored with anybody who smokes a pipe. That's true. I mean, just look at Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just it just looks wise. Just seems as though anyone right. that would smoke a pipe is wise. Hey, but we got to ask what's in that pipe. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got to get to the bottom of that. And I think today we got to the bottom of what was in Carl Bart's pipe. And so uh, for that reason, I'm thankful. Alan, thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And we want to thank you as well for hanging with us on this wild ride. Uh, here we are landing the plane. Uh, unlike Carl Barth, uh, hopefully what you gain from this is a reminder that the Word of God is our authority. And if it's not, um, how can you know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And if you can't know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, how do you know your salvation is sure? And if you don't know your salvation is sure, why even bother with Christianity to begin with?
So let's, let's be honest with ourselves that our faith is grounded in the word of God and there should be no other way than the way of a biblical literalist. If you're wanting to become a biblical literalist and if you want to take God at his very word, we wanna invite you to be a part of LFBI. If you visit lfbi.org, uh, you will see the many number of classes that we offer. But we teach, uh, uh, you know, about uh, how you can understand and divide scripture for yourself. And so we want to invite you to be a part of LFBI and uh, grow in God's word, grow in your ability to minister. We love you and we're grateful for your time with us. Uh, hopefully you learned something about Carl Bart and you received today's warning. Uh, we're, we're excited about the episodes that we have ahead of us. And so we pray that you would join us again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.